Early the next morning, he went back to the temple. All the people gathered round him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who had been caught committing adultery, and they made her stand before them all. Teacher! This woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. In our law, Moses commanded that such a woman must be stoned to death. Now, what do you say? They said this to trap Jesus so that they could accuse him. But he bent over and wrote on the ground with his finger. As they stood there asking him questions, he straightened up. Whichever one of you has committed no sin, may throw the first stone at her. Then he bent over again and wrote on the ground. When they heard this, they all left, one by one, the older ones first. Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there. He straightened up. Where are they? Is there no one left to condemn you? No one, sir. I do not condemn you either, but do not sin again. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees again. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will have the light of life and will never walk in darkness. Now you are testifying on your own behalf. What you say proves nothing. No. Even though I do testify on my own behalf, what I say is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going. You do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You make judgments in a purely human way. I pass judgment on no one. But if I were to do so, my judgment would be true because I am not alone in this. The Father who sent me is with me. It is written in your law that when two witnesses agree, what they say is true. I testify on my own behalf, and the Father who sent me also testifies on my behalf. Where is your Father? You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. Jesus said all this as he taught in the temple, in the room where the offering boxes were placed, and no one arrested him because his hour had not come. I will go away. You will look for me. But you will die in your sins. You cannot go where I am going. He says that we cannot go where he is going. Does this mean that he will kill himself? You belong to this world here below, but I come from above. You are from this world, but I am not from this world. That is why I told you that you will die in your sins. And you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am who I am. Who are you? What I have told you from the very beginning, I have much to say about you, much to condemn you for. The one who sent me, however, is truthful. And I tell the world only what I have heard from him. They did not understand that Jesus was talking to them about the Father. When you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am who I am. Then you will know that I do nothing on my own authority, that I say only what the Father has instructed me to say. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, because I always do what pleases him. Many who heard Jesus say these things believed in him.
Uh, and you guys, does anyone here enjoy holding open the door for other people? Anybody? I like to. You know why? Because I'm a decent human being. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, it's the worst when you're trying to, when you got like heavy boxes in your hand, you're trying to walk somewhere and like no one will open the door open for you. For me, I love opening up the door. And here's the thing, you know, like, you know, you open up a door for a girl and like usually they'll say thanks, you know, or like you'll open the door for like an old person and they'll thank you. Sometimes they don't thank you. That's, that's okay. I'm fine with that. Like I've never really been bummed out when someone says thanks because it's just like, all right, I'm being a good person. Someone didn't appreciate it. That's fine. But you know what's the weirdest thing? I, I want to I see a show of hands if anyone's ever experienced this. Have you, and I think this is a guy thing. I don't, if you're a girl, you can raise your hand if this has happened. But as a guy, have you ever opened up the door for another dude and he refused to go through the door until you let go so he can open up the door for himself? You guys know what I'm talking about? That's so weird. It's bizarre. Like, seriously, the, the other day I was down by the pier and I was at Ruby's uh, by the pier and I opened up the door for a couple girls and this guy walked up and he refused. And the guy looked like he probably fought in like World War II or something. And it's just, I think it's like generational. It's about something about being a man. And it's like, you can't let someone else help you. You know, you've got to be self-reliant. You've got to do it on your own. And this old guy, you know, he's old, shrunken up short, but he's looking at me. He's like, you young 20 something year old punk, I'll open the door for myself. You can't do it for me. It's, it's really, it's, it's bizarre. It's, it's hard for some people to receive free help. Today, we're looking at a gift, like a door opened that gets extended to people, but is so often rejected. And that gift is Light. Think about it. How many times do you reject light? You know when I reject light? Every morning. When the alarm goes off and the sun ray hits my eye through the blinds, I'm like, I hate you, light. Go away. Get out of my face. The light of Jesus is one that is coming into the world to bring warmth to the cold and lost, but also to expose sin, to destroy darkness. And you know what, guys? For us as Christians, we, even us, we can reject that light. And so my message today is towards two different types of people, those who reject the open door and those who reject the light. I would encourage you, do not tune out and say this message isn't for me because trust me, I studied it and I was like, this message is for me. So we're gonna look at four different points today. The first one is just the very simple idea of put down your stones and pick up humility. So this point comes from the story. And in the story, you've got this woman caught in the act of adultery. And this is totally a trap set up for Jesus. How many of you guys have heard this story much? This is a very common story. So you guys know, the Pharisees, they hated Jesus. They wanted to find any way to discredit him, any way to stop his kingdom movement. And so what they do is they go and they, they find this woman. And it's super crazy because it says that she was caught in the act of adultery, literally in bed with another man, dragged out of the bed, which is weird. It's like, how did the Pharisees know? Were they just hiding underneath people's beds and like waiting for someone to commit adultery? Super sketchy, super creepy Pharisees. Um, the law of the Torah said that adultery is punishable by death. But if you look at the Torah, if you look at the law, Deuteronomy 22 says that the man and woman caught in adultery should be stoned together. And I don't mean like, like stoned. I mean like, like taken out and like they throw rocks at you until you die. Um, that was the law. But you notice there's no man. 
There is no man. So this is very strange. This is very weird. Many scholars believe this could have been a setup. Literally, the Pharisees were so shady that in order to get Jesus, they hired a guy to go sleep with a married woman and then let the guy go. And that, like, just crazy. These are the pastors of the day. And they're so hellbent on destroying Jesus that they're stooping to these weird, creepy loves. So this woman is caught in the act of adultery. And you know what? What happens is the Pharisees gather this big crowd. And imagine, you know, imagine yourself as this woman. You know, how many of you have ever sinned? Yes, absolutely all of us. Imagine that your sin gets exposed to the whole town, the whole school. You get dragged out into the middle of the school assembly, thrown in the middle. They put on a projector, like a a screenshot of the bad thing you did. And everyone sees it. Everyone's laughing. Everyone's pointing. And then the school principal says, everyone pick up a rock. We're going to stone this person to death. This is the situation that this woman is. And you know what? Let's bring this to a relatable point because really there's kind of a tendency to be a stone thrower in all of us. Stone throwers love to catch other people in sin. Have you guys met this guy? Like the the, the guy I'm talking about, he's the guy. I, I think everybody has seen this guy at some point. He's the guy where when you were in elementary school, um, you know, your class would have prayer time and everyone would close your eyes. And there was that one kid who always kept his eyes open to make sure that everyone else was closing their eyes. Do you guys know who I'm talking about? Like that guy's the worst. If you're that guy, I'm sorry, but you're the worst. Um, Zach, okay. But there's always people who are looking for other people's sin. Like, there's always people who are on the prowl, you know, like they see someone and it's like, oh man, you said a bad word. I caught you. Or man, you posted a sketchy photo on Instagram. I'm gonna comment your mom on the picture, on the tagger in it. Um, there's, you know, that sibling who knows that you lied to mom and dad and they're like, I'm gonna make you my slave. No, anybody? I have a sister who, oh my gosh, anyway. It shows the human condition of wickedness, though, because think about it. For all of us, for me, there have been times where I have found myself seeing someone else in sin, and there's this weird pride that comes up, and it's like, like, I'm way better than them. I would never do that. I can't believe they did that. I'm going to go, like, talk to one of my friends and say, hey, we should really pray for them and, like, talk about all the horrible things that they're doing. Are you, are you with me? Like, you guys know what I'm talking about? It happens all the time. It shows this wicked human condition. We love pointing out the sins of others while completely ignoring our own. Jesus had this crazy illustration about it where he was like, you know, people who do that, people who focus on the sins of other people, you're like the guy who's, you know, you see a little fleck of sawdust in your friend's eye, just like a big old like, wood chip kind of like caught in the corner. And you're like, hey, man, you got to take care of that, bro. That's terrible. When you've got an entire tree trunk sticking out of your own eye. That's what he's talking about. We all have our own sins, our own problems. No one is perfect. No one should be able to be holier than thou and look down at other people and say, you need to be like me. Be more like me because I'm perfect. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. The reality is we're all sinners. Nobody's perfect. Jesus is the only one who's perfect, and he's who we look up to. Jesus gets this. That's why he writes in the sand. I I loved in the video because it just kind of looked like Jesus was bored. Like they come and they're like, Jesus, what should we do? And Jesus is just like, he's just like drawing in the sand. He's just like bored. Like when your teacher is like lecturing you and you're just like doodling on your notepad. But most scholars believe that there was something symbolic about what he was doing. Because think about it. You've got all these judgmental Pharisees. And these guys love the rules. They love regulations. And they're looking at this woman who sinned. And they're saying, we have to destroy her. Many scholars believe what Jesus was doing was he was writing something condemning 
in the sand. He was writing either the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, um, or even more specifically, Jesus may have been writing the sins of the Pharisees. Can you imagine that? Like, he's, you know, they're like, this woman did this, and Jesus is like, hmm, anger, Jim, <laughs> lying, Silas, you know what I mean? Like, he's, he's staring at, um, you know, <laughs> lust, and he just looks at all of them, and the Pharisees are like, oh, psh, uh, like, Jesus had this amazing power where he could see through people's hearts. He could look and just pierce into their very soul. And he still has that power. Like when I go to Jesus and I pray, um, you know, a lot of times I'm like praying, Lord, bless me, Lord, bless me. And he'll just like pierce into my heart and show me something wrong about myself. And for these Pharisees, their pride is what brought them there with stones in their hands. Just I'm better. And so I get to cast stones. And when Jesus pointed out their problems, they dropped the stones and they ran away. In fact, Jesus says, whoever is sinless, throw the first stone. So who could have thrown that stone? Jesus. He was the only one who could have thrown that stone. Did he though? No. So if the one who is perfect says, hey, only the perfect can throw stones, and then he doesn't, that just kind of shows us that no matter what, we shouldn't be throwing stones, right? There's never a good reason to throw stones. There's never going to be for you an appropriate reason for you to throw stones, to sling accusations, to spread gossip, to put down, to belittle, to demean anybody else. There is never a justifiable good reason. Are you with me? Yeah? Okay. So... Jesus had a passion, and his passion was not punishing the wicked. Jesus did not go around with a giant wooden spoon spanking sinners. That would have been weird. I don't know where that came from. That's a bizarre analogy. No, his passion was saving the lost. And Jesus has so many gifts he wants to give the world. But listen, guys, you can't receive the gifts of God when there are stones in your hands. Okay? When there's stones in your hands, your hands are full of your own pride, of your own judgmentalism, and you can't receive the gifts of God. For the Pharisees, they had those stones in their hands, their stones of anger and judgment, and they couldn't receive the gifts of God. Jesus loved the Pharisees. Like in that video, I know it was intense, and I think that's pretty accurate when, they're, when Jesus is like, I have much to condemn you of. You will not go where I'm going. Like he, he gets in their face. He gets intense. Jesus was intense about sin, but he loved everybody, and he wanted the Pharisees to be saved. That's why he was so hard on them. And some of the Pharisees did get saved. There was one named Nicodemus who laid down his pride, but the other Pharisees, they could not let go of their pride. We need humility. Like, do you guys know what humility is? It's the opposite of pride. Humility is where you stop thinking so highly of yourself and you start thinking highly of Jesus. And the more highly we think of Jesus, the more we realize I'm a sinner. Like I'm, I'm the worst, like I'm terrible. But through Jesus, I'm saved and I don't have that bad identity anymore. Like humility, it's not being down on yourself, going, I'm pathetic, I'm worthless. Humility is realizing that without Christ, you're nothing. But with him, you have this new identity. I'm, I'm special because, not because of my abilities or my talents or my looks or my perfect hair or whatever. It's, no, I'm special because God loves me and has a purpose for me. And I'm his child and I'm saved by him and I'm redeemed by him. But listen, there's another person in the story who couldn't receive the gifts of God because she had stones in her hands. I'm talking about the woman. And the stone that was in her hand was the stone of her guilt and shame. 
She knew what she had done. In fact, she couldn't hide it anymore. Who knows how long this affair was going on? Now it's out in the open. And she's got this giant stone in her hand that says, shame, worthless, pathetic. I messed up. I screwed up. Everyone knows it. And for you here today, if you're a normal teenager in America, you probably have some stones of guilt and shame in your life. Things in your past that you're not proud of. Maybe even things in this past week you're not proud of. And Jesus invites you. He says, listen, you can't receive the gifts of God with that stone in your hand, so let it go. That's what he invites us, that's what he invites us to do. He says to the woman, let go of your guilt, let go of your shame. He says, woman, where have your accusers gone? She looks up and says, no, they've left my Lord. And Jesus says, I don't accuse you. I don't condemn you. It's amazing. And he doesn't just tell her you're forgiven. He tells her, let go of that sin because that's a stone. That's going to keep you from me. He says, go and sin no more. He doesn't say, I forgive you. Now go live your life exactly the way you did before. Listen, if you're here today, God is calling you today to lay down your stones of guilt, shame, pride, whatever it is, and walk with him. He lovingly convinces her to leave that stone behind. Listen, guys, pointing out sin, it's not wrong to point out sin. You're like, well, wait, you're just talking about the Pharisees and their stones and pointing out sin. Listen, pointing out sin is not wrong if our heart is compassionate. Because here's what I mean about Nima, that sin is a cancer. It will destroy us. And if you love someone and you see that they have cancer and they don't know it, the most loving thing you can do is point that out. And say, hey, listen, like, I love you so much. Like, I noticed these symptoms. I think it's cancer. You need to go to the doctor. Would it be loving to just like not tell them if they didn't know? No, absolutely not. So for us... As Christians, when we have friends who are struggling, who are going through sin, there's a flip side of this. I've seen a lot of people your age have friends struggling with sin, and because they don't want to screw up the friendship or the relationship, they just won't tell them. They won't say anything because they don't want to make things awkward. Listen, if you really love your friends, don't let cancer creep into their life because listen it'll start with them and it'll spread to you and your friends if you really love them if you're strong right now if you're walking with jesus and someone you love is doing something sketchy that's not good don't go on twitter and tweet about it don't go on instagram and post their sin to the world don't don't go and make it public you go to them and you tell them that you love them and you tell you tell them what you see and then you pray with them and if they don't accept it if they reject you if they get all weird you go and you pray for them and you don't stop praying for them until you see a change my role as a pastor, you know, for you guys over the years, I've had to point out some sin, you know? And sometimes I'll do it from the pulpit. Sometimes I'll do it from here. And there's something on my heart that I feel like we need, to, we need to all repent of. And I'll say it. Sometimes it's in person. Sometimes I've sat down with some of you and said, hey, listen, I love you. This is what I see. But listen, guys, my heart is to always do it in love. In fact, kind of a rule for our leadership team, for all the counselors and everybody is we need to be humble. Like, we can't just get up here and say, hey, be like us. No, don't be like us. We're failures. I mess up all the time. I make mistakes all the time. I need Jesus just like you need Jesus. And guys, mostly everything that you've struggled with, in some way I've struggled with, in some way Brooklyn struggled with, in some way the counselors have struggled with. And that's why we're here for you. 
Now, on this same note, there's a question that came up. We've been taking questions on Wednesday night, and I'm going to start answering some of these questions on Sunday morning. Here's a question that came up. If we have family or friends who are part of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transsexual community, or transgender, I'm sorry, community, do we support them and continue to love them, or what? Now, this is a big question that comes up, and this is related to those stones. Because you know what? When they interview Christians and they ask them, you know, or not Christians, when they interview people in the world and say, what do you think of Christians? You know what the number one response is? Gay haters. People who are hateful. People who are judgmental. We have this reputation of carrying these stones of hating people. Now, here's the thing. I have a question for you. Do you have family and friends that sin? Raise your hand if you have family and friends that sin. Do you continue to love and support them? Yeah. Like, do you still talk to them? Like, do you still say hi even though your sister, like, lies all the time and steals your sweaters? Like, you know? Do you still talk to your brother even though he, like, just is a foul-mouthed sailor when he bombs on a skateboard? Like, do you still support your family members because they're sinners? Yeah, absolutely. And it's weird. It's weird, guys, because right now in Christianity, there's this thing called the culture war. And what has happened is there are people in the church who look at anybody who struggles with homosexuality and they, they, they make them out to be the enemy. It's like, oh, it's the gay agenda and they're coming to destroy us and they're taking away everything we believe. It's like, no, listen, if you read the Bible, it says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It says that our enemy is the devil. People are never the enemy. People are always victims of the enemy. So Yes, absolutely. If you know people who are struggling with these issues, love them, support them, be friends with them, show them Jesus. If not you, who will? Romans 2, 4 says it is God's kindness that leads to repentance. We need to show people, no matter what their sin struggle is, we need to show them Christ first, and then the sin talk can come later. I have never walked up to somebody on the street and noticed their sin and just had that be my opening conversation starter. Hey, I noticed that you're kind of handsy on your girlfriend. Do you want to talk about Jesus? Uh, no, you're a creep. I'm leaving. You know what I mean? Like, hey, I heard you swear. It's time to repent, brother. You're going to hell. Like, no, like... No, we never do that. So why, when it comes to these people who are going through these issues, do we open with that? Do we make that the main issue? Jesus doesn't make our sin the main issue. He makes our need for him the main issue. And then we go from there. If God stopped loving and supporting us when we kept sinning, I, we would all be doomed. There was a pastor who I was talking to and I was asking him about this issue, you know, and I was like, you know, what does is, what is your church do in these issues? And he told me, you know, it's really sad because I'm one of the only guys on staff who like tries to love people in this issue. In fact, there was a family who came uh, and said, you know, pastor, they were talking to a different pastor on the church. It was a church, like big church, lots of pastors. And they asked one of the, you know, associate pastors like, hey, what should we do about our son? You know, he's struggling. He thinks he might be gay. Like, what should we do? And they said, you should make, the pastor said, you should make fun of him. You should put him down. You should call him names and insult him. And then that'll, that'll turn him back. It's like, what on earth? It's so sickening. That kind of reaction is a reaction out of fear. We're not called to react out of fear. We're called to fight in a holy war, yes, but our weapon is not the stones of pride or fear. It is the weapon of love. We love people into the kingdom. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Are you with me? Yeah, okay. So I think this story raises another interesting question, and that's the question of who gets to go to heaven. 
When we have this assumption, the assumption is good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. Has anyone ever grown up thinking that way? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, you know, I thought a little bit more simply. Like, literally, I had in my mind, like, okay, when I go to church, those are the good people. And they say, God bless you. And, like, they're really nice and sweet. And then, like, when I go out on the street and I see someone, like, smoking or drinking alcohol, like, oh, those are bad people. They're going to hell. That's literally how I thought as a child. And it's crazy. I, I ran into some teenagers. We went street witnessing recently. And uh, I ran into these teens. And they were so, they were a trip. They were awesome. They belonged to this church called the Church of Spirituality. Which <laughs> is like, what? Uh, and they just got back from like a camp. Like the spirituality camp. And I was like, oh, what do you believe? And they're like, oh, well, we believe that the universe is God. And everyone is God. And like that chair is God. And that deck is God. And like we're all God. And we're all connected. And we're God. And I was like, Whoa. We should talk. And we ended up talking. It was a great conversation. But here's the thing. Here's what they believe. They believe getting into heaven depended on your goodness. So like you do good deeds and you've got this scale. And the more good deeds you do, the more it fills up your good scale. And then when you do a bad deed, the bad scale goes up. And it's just like you're kind of in this constant balance of trying to do enough good deeds to get into heaven. And... What a terrifying way to live. Because I don't know about you, but I don't do good deeds constantly. I like do good and then all of a sudden I'm doing really, really bad and I'm messing up and I'm blowing it. Like if that were me, I would constantly be in fear of going to hell because I'd be like, I I can't constantly do good. I have a bad side. My flesh comes out. Listen to what Jesus says to the Pharisees. Look at verse 12. Jesus says, I know where I came from and where I am going. Verse 20. But you do not know where I come from and where I'm going. And then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This is astonishing. Did you catch that? Check check this out. Jesus says to the Pharisees, where I'm going, you can't come. Where's Jesus going? Heaven, right? Jesus is going to heaven. And he's saying to the Pharisees, you can't come. Now think about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the good guys. By the Jewish standards, they kept all the laws. They kept all the rules. So why can't they go where he is coming? The reason they can't go where he is going is because of pride. You guys ever been to the airport and you go through the metal detector and you can't get through because of your metal, right? You got like a pen or a quarter or a nickel or something and they won't let you through, right? In the same way, the biggest thing that keeps people out of the kingdom of God, the metal detector that stops us is when we carry pride with us. We, we can't get there with pride. Pride keeps us from belief. Verse 22. So the Jews said, the Pharisees said, is he going to kill himself because he says, where I go, you cannot come? Now, this was like a sick burn for back then because they're like, oh, like, where are you going? Hell, you're going to kill yourself? We can't go there. And then Jesus responds, verse 23. He says, listen, you're from beneath. Like, this is a total, like, diswar between the two of these guys. Jesus is like, no, you think I'm going to hell? Hey, you're from hell. You're from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Listen, guys, the kingdom of heaven is for those who realize they are nothing without Christ. And you might think, oh, that's narrow-minded, Aaron. That's narrow-minded. Like, aren't there so many ways to heaven? Like, why has it got to be one? Listen, There was a girl named Katie Trebing who was born with diamond black fan anemia. 
which is a rare bone marrow disease that affects just about 30 out of every 40 million newborns each year. It's a rare disease that causes your blood cells to shut down, your red blood cells, which makes it so no oxygen can be carried to your organs. And there's only one cure, a bone marrow transfusion. You can't take Tylenol and expect it to go away. You can't take NyQuil. You can't take all the cough syrup in the world. You need the one cure in the same way, in the same way. For us to be saved, we have a sickness, a cancer, a disease that's called sin. And if you guys are like, Aaron, why are you teaching me this? Like, I'm a Christian. I've been saved my whole life. Listen, I need to hear this constantly because sometimes I try to save myself by my own good deeds and I forget. You can't take the medicine of good deeds. You can't take the medicine of religious pride. You can't take the medicine of I'm a good person. It has to be the blood transfusion of Jesus Christ. This woman caught in adultery, Jesus looks at her and says, welcome to my kingdom. Why? Because she's broken and she's humble and she knows she messed up and she's thankful to Jesus. The Pharisees, Jesus says, you can't go where I'm going. Why? They kept all the rules because they were prideful. They were arrogant. They thought I can make my way to heaven. I can do it on my own. I can do it myself. And Jesus says, no, you can't. In Jesus's mind, unrepented pride is much worse. It's hundred billion times worse than repented adultery. Think about that. Someone gets caught in adultery, it's this giant scandal, it's this big thing, and then there's someone next to them who's judging them. They didn't commit adultery, they're just prideful. They're just like, that person committed adultery? Like, what, what a loser. Like, they, can, they can't even keep their marriage together? Like, wow. And Jesus looks, and if the person who committed adultery is humble and repentant, Jesus says, they're, they're doing way better. The person who just messed up and committed adultery, if they're broken and they're repentant, Jesus looks at the person who's prideful and says, your sin is worse. Because you are holding on to that pride. We often see sins on a scale. This sin is worse than the other. This sin is worse. But God doesn't judge by those standards. He's looking at the heart. Listen, listen, listen. This is something I had to learn. Some of you guys, and I've talked about this before, but some of you guys, when you sin, when you mess up, what you want to do is sweep it under the rug You don't want to talk to anyone about it. You don't want to get any prayer. You don't want to talk to your parents about it. You would prefer if your parents didn't even know about your sin. You'd prefer if no one knew. You don't want to think about it. You want to throw up a quick, forgive me for that, Lord, and move on. And what that is, it's not not facing the darkness inside of us. God calls us. Like we've lost the art in our generation, the art of self-reflection. And what I mean by that, if you're like, Aaron, what are you talking about? Self-reflection, like you're a weirdo. Listen, all I'm talking about is when you mess up, when you sin, you go to your room and you spend some time with Jesus and you just tell him how sorry you are, how broken you are, how much you need forgiveness, how much you love him. God, the Bible says, God responds to the humble but rejects the proud. And so many times in my life when I sin, I don't want to talk about it. I want to think about it. I want to think about all the good things people like about me, all the nice things people say, all the pats on the back. I don't want to think about the way I've screwed up. Listen, if you're here today and you've come through this week and you've disrespected your parents and you've blown it on your homework and you haven't been a good boyfriend or like whatever, you know, like if you sin, you've messed up. Don't just move on to the next week. Spend some time with Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Come broken and humble. 
Guys, being a Christian like me who grew up in the church, we are the prime candidates for having pride being our number one sin. Thinking, I'm saved, I go to church, I've got it together, so I'm good. God calls us to be in a constant state of being on our knees. The third point today, and we're going to move quickly to close this up, is the light is moving, follow it. Look at verse 12. Jesus spoke to them again and said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and says, I am the light, follow, and you won't walk in darkness. The woman caught in adultery, she became a follower. She calls him Lord. She says, Lord, what can I do? What can I do? The Pharisees reject him. In fact, they go to Jesus and they say, you know, you can't, you can't live up to those claims. You're claiming to be the light. The Torah is the light. God's word is the light. Who are you? And Jesus says, you search the scriptures thinking that you'll find eternal life in them. But you need to realize the scriptures, the Bible, the Torah, it points you to me. I am where you find life. You guys ever seen things that can't deliver on their promises? Like, do you guys know what clickbait is? Anybody? Clickbait? You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, clickbait is those article headlines that we see all the time on the internet that just way overpromise. Like, for instance, here's one. Baby ducks see water for the first time. Can you believe what they do? And then you click on it, and spoiler, the ducks politely slip, sip from a pool. Then you've got... What this ugly little bird can do to survive is actually pretty genius. And you're thinking, like, what does it do? Does it, like, drink the blood of its victims? Like, what does it do? Spoiler, it curls into a ball. Yay. So great. Here's one. This one's my favorite. She found this cardboard box that when she rips it open, I'm speechless. You guys seen these? You know what I'm talking about? Where it's just like, when you see it, he's speechless. Spoiler. It's puppies inside the box. Yay. Also, apparently the article was written by a dog named Barbara. <laughs> That's Barbara weird. Diamond. Barbara Diamond, the little poodle. And finally, Bill Nye wasn't always the science guy. His story makes me like it even more. And then you read the article and you're like, what's this amazing story? Spoiler, he was just a regular person who liked science. It's great. There's so many promises in the world, so many statements, but you know what? Jesus delivers on his statement every time. Jesus says, I am the door, and he proves it by holding the door to life open with his sacrifice. He says, I'm the way, and he proves it not only by telling us how to get to God, by showing us with his perfect life. He says, I am the truth. The entire story of the Bible shows us through the life of Jesus that the truth is that God loves us, and Jesus says, I am the light. And as the light, he destroys the darkness of sin on the cross. Listen, you can't just see the light to be saved. You have to follow it. Imagine you're in a cave and it's dark and there's pits all around you, like just falls down to your death and it's completely dark. And then a dude shows up with a lantern and he says, check it out. I've got the light. And you go, that's a sweet light, bro. That's awesome. And then he goes, all right, let's go. And he starts walking. If you don't follow him, even if you can see that light way off in the distance, you're like, that's a sweet light, bro. Like, it moved. Now it's off in the distance, and, and, and you're still there in the darkness, and if you step without the light, you will fall. And here's the great thing. Here's the great thing about the movement of Jesus, because God is always moving. Like, oh man, God is moving. Like, have you guys seen Chronicles of Narnia where they say Aslan is on the move? 
You guys heard that before? God is like this lion. He's just charging. God is taking back ground from the enemy. Like, I don't know if you guys know this. Like, some, some of you, I think some of you actually believe that the story of the Bible is about God died for you. Now enjoy your life on earth. Have a great time. And then you'll die and go to heaven. Yay. Like, that's, no. The end of the story, when Jesus died on the cross, it was the first movement in an all-out war. When he died on the cross, he was saying, we are going to destroy the darkness. And he puts the light in all of his followers and says, now I'm going to unleash you into the world. He says to Peter, Peter, you, I am going to build my church on you and the gates of hell will not be able to shake you. You guys are the next part of that generation. Like you are called for something. That doesn't mean you have to grow and be a pastor. That's not what I'm saying. But whatever you do, whatever your job is, whatever school you go to, God wants to fill you with his light so that you can be unleashed into the darkness and do great things for him. One of the questions that came in is how do I experience God's holiness? When I was a Christian, I used to, I used to, or not when I, yeah, I used to be a Christian. We're back when I was a Christian and then I got smart. No, okay. Um, when I was a young Christian, okay, and I'm a little bit older of a Christian, I used to think, you know, when people would say, be holy, like my pastor would be like, hey, be holy. It's scary, right? He like looked up, you're like, whoa. <laughs> There's this call to be holy. It's like, you know, the Bible verse says, be holy as God is holy. Oh, snap. He's God and I am this tiny little sinful human. That's scary. Listen, holiness, when we look at God and we notice he's holy, we notice he's perfect, he's flawless, he's spotless. We look at ourselves and we're like, man, I always fail. I always mess up. I'm not perfect. I'm not spotless. I try to be holy and I can't. Is, it, is anyone with me? Have you ever tried to be holy and then like the next day you realized you weren't? Anybody with me? Yeah? Okay. So, what does it mean when God calls us to be holy? When he calls us to be holy, he says, you are called to be set apart for a purpose. That's the meaning of holiness for you. For instance, I have a tea kettle in my office. And it's holy because it's set apart for tea. I, I, there's, there's water in tea. I actually put my tea bags in the kettle and I boil them in there so I can just pour straight golden tea liquid into my cup and like put some honey in it. It's just, it's holy, it's sacred. Well, one day, some of the students at the school, and I don't know who it was, maybe it was you, James, I don't know, but someone defiled the holiness of my tea kettle because they put soda and light bulbs in it, weirdly enough. And it was no longer holy. It was no longer set apart. That's what God is calling you to. Not to put light bulbs and soda in my tea kettle. But God is calling you to be set apart for his purposes. Listen, listen. You guys, listen, 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 listen. Guys, you are not the church of the future. Yeah, yeah, you'll grow up and then you'll be the church. That's depressing. No, you are the church of right now. Right now. No matter how sinful you think you are. No matter how holy you think you are. You are the church of right now. If you believe in Jesus, if you put your trust in him, he is calling you. He's saying, you, listen, I know you want to hang out with those friends. I know you want to spend time with these people. I know you want to go to those websites. I know you want to put those apps on your phone. I know you want to listen to that music or watch those shows. But, but consider this. I have called you to be set apart from all of that for my purposes. And listen, listen, even if there's just one person here who needs to hear this. I believe that some of you are in a struggle right now. 
where you know God has called you to be set apart for his purposes and you've heard that call and you felt that tug on your heart and soul, but you're running from it. You're rejecting that light, that gift. I can tell you from personal experience, choosing to set apart your life to serve God and love him and live for his purposes, it is life-changing. It revolutionizes your world. It fills your heart with joy and with a sense of purpose and mission like you've never had before. If any of you guys are struggling with that today, don't wait. Go home and say, God, here I am. I'm yours. Use me. Like just, just tell him that and mean it and watch what he does. I'm serious. So we're going to finish with the last point. We're going to have a little bit of group time. Here's the last point. And this, this one, please pay attention, because this one is the good one. <laughs> they're all, I mean, hopefully they're all good, but this one just gets me. L- say it with me, okay? One, two, three. Lifting up the sun causes us to see the Father. So, ah, look at verse 18. We're going back to verse 18. Jesus says to the Pharisees, I am the one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. And then they said to him, where is your father? And Jesus answers, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself, but as my father taught me, I speak these things. Jesus says, When you lift up the sun, you'll see the Father. There's another question that came in from a girl at a public school. I went to her school and I asked everyone to send in questions and I got this really simple question that was just like, how do I find hope? How do I find hope? And I got excited about that because we're hope thinker. So it's like, oh, we're all about hope. And it reminded me of this story. There was this pastor named Kyle Eidelman who told this story about there was a, a woman in her late 20s who came to church and she shows up at church and she looks like a deer caught in the headlights. She's anxious because she's been divorced about six years ago. And they told her, you're no longer welcome at the church. At her church that she went to, they said, you, you can't come, you're divorced, get out of here. So she shows up to this guy, Pastor Kyle's church and she's filled with guilt and fear. And she says to her friend, am I allowed to even go inside there? She points to the sanctuary. She says, I'm, I'm not a member. And then the worship leader prayed and he said, the first words that came out of his mouth were, God, thank you that no matter where our path has taken us in life, you can redeem and forgive us. And so tears are just streaming down this woman's face. And, and she, she goes up and, and the pastor invites, you know, anybody who needs to receive from Jesus, come forward. And so. She goes to the pastor and she's got tears streaming down her face. And the pastor says, what's wrong? Pastor Kyle says, what's wrong? And she says, I don't know if I'm allowed to respond to the invitation because I went through a divorce a number of years ago and my old church wouldn't have me. It's heartbreaking. There's so many people looking for hope. There's so many people at your school, in your neighborhoods, in our towns looking for hope. And a lot of times what the church offers them is judgment. You're not allowed here. You're a sinner. Come back when you're perfect. 
And so when we lift up perfection, when we lift up rules, when we lift up law, maybe some of you guys, that's your experience with church. You feel like it's just religion. It's just lifted up rules and laws. When that happens, what do we see? We see hopelessness because we see the law lifted up and we say, I can't do it. Guys, the world wants us to lift up other things. The world wants us to lift up ourselves. It wants us to lift up our partying, our substance abuse, our sexuality. It wants us to lift that up and make it the main thing that identifies us. It wants us to lift up popularity or beauty or... When we do that, when those things get lifted up, all we see is our own emptiness. It's like staring back into a mirror. So how do we find hope? Listen, guys, this is absolutely how we find hope. When we lift up Jesus on the cross, Jesus had a way of slipping these like foreshadowing statements into his messages. He's talking to the crowd and he says, listen, when you lift up the son of man, then you will see God. What was he talking about? Anybody? When, he, when you lift up the Son of Man, the cross, when Jesus was nailed to that cross, they pulled the ropes and they lifted that cross up on a hill and the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, was lifted up in front of everyone, broken, bloody, beaten. And we can look at that and we can say that looks like hopelessness, but in truth, the cross looks like hope. Because when you look at Jesus on the cross, when he gets lifted up, you don't see your own guilt. You don't see your own shame. You don't see your mistakes. You see the one who took all of that for you. When you look at the Son of Man lifted up, you see forgiveness and you see redemption and you see hope. How do we find hope? We find it by seeing the Son of God lifted up. Listen, I wanna end with this. Guys, listen, if you want to find hope in your life, if you're here and you're looking for hope, no matter what the situation is, fill in the blank. You've all got situations where you're looking for hope. If you want to find hope, lift up the Son of Man. Lift up God, lift up Jesus in your life. The three ways we can do that, ending with this, the three ways we can do that, here's how you lift up Jesus. One, you esteem him. In your own heart, you pray to Jesus and you thank Jesus and you talk to him and you you build him up. You are passionate about Jesus. When you have your devotions, whether you're reading in Genesis, Revelation, or anywhere in between, you're looking for Jesus. In every part of the Bible, you're realizing the Bible, your devotions, your devo time, it's not just a time to like learn little moral lessons about don't steal, don't lie, be a good person. It's about finding Christ in the pages of the Bible. And the second way is just show and tell. You lift up Jesus by showing people and telling people. And here's, here's the thing. Have you guys ever tried to catch the bus for school or the subway? Have you guys ever run to catch the bus? Anybody run to catch the bus? Okay, so when you're running to catch the bus, you're like hurrying, you're rushing, you're trying to get there. You're panicked, right? But once you get on and the doors slide closed, are you panicked anymore? No, you're relieved. And so that's kind of the picture of us sometimes. We're running. We've got to get saved. We've got to get forgiven. We've got to get hope. And then we get on the bus. We get to Jesus and the doors close and there's still people outside who are looking for hope but we're just relaxed, we're comfortable, we don't care. That can be a problem. Guys, um, so the other Saturday, we uh, had a street witnessing day, you know, planned, and we were gonna go down to Encinitas. Now here's the thing, we got it all together, we planned it, and only one 
students showed up. And I'm not saying, this is just let me just preface this. This isn't a guilt trip. This isn't like, how, why didn't you guys show up? This is more a confession of my own failure. So one kid shows up, uh, Sierra Diaz. And so um, we're hanging with her and I'm talking with Brooklyn and I'm like, should we even do this? Like only one person showed up. Like what can we do with one person? Like, like maybe we should just reschedule for a different day. And I totally panicked and I got scared and I was like, oh, I don't want to go witness with one person. That's weird. And uh, like I got all freaked out about it. And God spoke to me clearly and said, Aaron, lift me up. Lift me up. For, who cares? There's only a few people. Just go. Just do it. Just do it. And so we went and we were scared. We talked to, it was me, Brooklyn, Sarah, and two of the counselors, Dylan and Rachel. We ended up talking to like 10 or 12 different people. We met this college girl on the pier who was just this space cadet, just out there, crazy, like struggling through all these different sins and issues. She was so open. We invited her to church. Um, We ended up, uh, Dylan and Rachel gave her a ride to church that night. She rededicated her life to the Lord and now she's plugged into a small group at a church. Like just, guys. If we just lift up the sun, if you, if you at your school, whether it's a Christian school or public school, if you lift up Jesus, amazing things happen. I tell you guys, every time I feel the call to do that, I, I want to chicken out. I want to chicken out. Guys, don't chicken out, please. Please. I, I just think if we, if I would have pulled the plug, if I would have said we're not going to do it, where would that girl be right now? Like, oh my goodness, guys, let's obey the Lord. Let's lift up the sun. Lord, we love you so much. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us, God, to stop rejecting your light in our life. We're Christians, we're saved, and we're so proud so often of the time. Help us, God, to lay down our stones so that we can receive the gifts Help us to be humble. Help us to live for heaven. Help us to know that your light is moving and calling us to follow it. If there's anyone here, God, who is a Christian and they're just sitting still and they're not moving forward, they're not walking with you. God, help them to stop sliding backwards and help them today to make that choice to follow that light because you have called them to a mission. God, I pray most of all that we would lift up your son in our lives. Help us, God, to lift you up and make you the main focus and priority of everything we do. I pray that no one here, God, would feel like they can't do that because they're not holy enough. Because holiness, it's not perfection. God, you are perfect. We can't be. All we can be is set apart. And I pray, God, that you would lead specific students in here today to declare to you that they want to be set apart for your glory. In your name, amen. Amen, guys.